Welcome to Off Code, the show where we ignore the cultural codes and have real and intriguing conversations regarding the Black community and ways we can move forward to human flourishing. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Off Code. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Kevin Briggins. Um, if you're joining us for the first time or you're a recurring visit, you haven't liked or subscribed to our channel, please do so because it helps us out and it helps um, other people find our channel and our content. So if you could do that, that would be great. With that said, yes. with that said, we have a special guest today. We have family. It's not even a guest. I shouldn't even say guest. Right? We have family in the house right? today. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We already been talking about back bangs. You know, when your hair start way back here and then you got long hair, it's like the back bangs. Yep. And, and the Pat, the black girl Pat. The, yes. Yeah, the anti scratch. Yeah. Yes, because yeah. you can't be scratching your head. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah, not for that purpose. Out from the root. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so joining Yeah, so joining us today is April Chapman from the Standard of Truth podcast, and so she is going to join us to talk about something that's very important um, in all communities, but particularly in the Black community, and that's entrepreneurship. And April, along with being, you know, the host of a popular podcast she's also a entrepreneur so we wanted to bring her on to have this conversation so we can kind of get some good information out there and kind of also dispel some of the myths that are out there around entrepreneurship so awesome welcome yeah. sister chapman how are you guys thank you so much for having me i'm glad to be here we are glad to have you. I was just on your podcast. So I was like, yes. Now, low key, I was upset because me and Kevin had been talking about having you on, but then you reached out first. And I was like, man, man. Yep. yep. But and, we are and glad then, to have you. And now. then April and I recently met in person. Right. So we took a selfie. We yep. did. That was so cool. I'm so glad you were able to make it, even if it was just a short amount of time. So now we we just got to get Monique to the East Coast for a yep. little bit. I'll come to Alabama. I'll do what I have to do so we all could just break bread and just have merriment in the Lord together. You know what? I'm trying to get down with it, but my spirit ain't right because <laughs> y'all had like merriment time and then you posted about it on Facebook and tagged me in it. Oh, I did. He it did. I felt, I felt some kind of way in my spirit. I was trying to guard your heart. I didn't know he was going to do that. Um, and then he told me about it, that he was going to like pretty much rub it in. And yeah, yeah, yeah I had I your back settled. My spirit man was bothered. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. We had some good food too. We yeah, did. We, yeah, see. Mm, mm, That's how we do it in the South. Or in the South. The South with an F, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was just out here on the West Coast with our high gas prices, living my best life. Yeah, and we, avo- and we, avocado we toast. for you. Yeah. We stretch out our hands from afar, but we don't, mm, we don't want... That's green. a burden I'm not trying to bear alongside you. Oh, I know, touch and agree. Do white people touch and agree? I don't, I don't know. think so. I don't think I'm so. A, do y'all touch and agree? Well, representing all white people. Chris is representing all white people. Yeah, she said no. They don't touch and agree. Do y'all? But y'all touch and agree. We know the proper yeah, way of prayer. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. We'll touch absolutely. and agree in the name. Let him do it. Yes. Okay. Mm, 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 mm. Now, see if you are not part of the culture, there's a lot that has just happened, and that's okay. Just continue to stay with us. I'm sure these things will be explained. Yeah, it'll, it'll all work out. Also, I just want people to know they just got a taste of what happens off 
camera before we start recording the cover i wish we could record the conversations before we start recording and when we're done recording because that's the best content and i just hate people don't get to see it well chris has started this recording a little early maybe we'll add it on at the end maybe so all right, right. maybe, maybe. talk about that right. yeah <laughs> all right yes you know because you know but now talk about entrepreneurship why is it that we know about patch your weave, patch your head, all the perm, like all this stuff. But the black hair industry is like a multi-billion dollar industry per year. And it goes to a community that is not black. Um, Here's what I'm going to say about this. Um, my husband and I, we have been small business owners and entrepreneurs. Uh, we actually celebrated 10 years of being in business this you better past go ahead. And what we realized, we realized this early on, call it God's providence, you know, call it a red pill moment. What we realized is that the moment, the moment we moved away from just wanting to be, you know, a black owned business or wanting to be, you know, black entrepreneurs or embracing black entrepreneurship, once we abandoned that colorized language and was saying, no, we just want, we have a product and a way to get paid. We just want to start a business and we want to start a business that's going to serve the community that we're in. And we just, we just want to provide a legacy and, and, and create income for our family. Once we abandoned, and I'm not trying to offend your guests, or uh, uh, your subscribers, but I, I, you know me, Monique. So I'm, I'm yeah. just, I have to keep it 100. Once we abandoned that entire pro blackity black agenda and languaging and recognized that we were in the freest country on this, on, on, on the planet and that there were just so many opportunities afforded to us and that we had the right to pursue that opportunity on the basis of our own merit and hard work. Once we abandoned the the sub uh, uh, the sub agenda of focusing on the fact that we were black people and we wanted to be entrepreneurs and and start a business. Once we abandoned that, things changed for us, and we were able to actually put our minds towards something and and create a business that we could be proud of just on the basis of the fact that it was it was just a good business idea and it was filling a void and a need in the market and we didn't have to we didn't have to submit ourselves to like well you know we are a black owned business and we are a female owned business and I'm a short person owned business like we didn't have to get into any of those intersectionality type of conversations and that's the biggest hindrance that I see for those of us that are melanated, that desire to be small business owners, our sights are too small, our visions are too small, and we purposely segregate ourselves and we adopt this Marxist languaging, thinking that that's going to get us ahead and all it does is hold you back. Did that, did that make sense? Yes. So I'm going to tie it into what I was saying about the, you know, multi-billion dollar industry in the hair care and what you're saying about being a black owned business. What I hear you saying is that, and I want to say it's Koreans that run the, the black hair care industry. They can run with that industry because they're not 
segregated and limited only to things that are in their cultural identity. They have right. now kind of dispelled that myth and said, you know what, we can serve this community. We see a need here. We're going to speak into that need. And that, and that's what they've done and they've run with it. But what you're saying is this, this idea of I have to be a black owned business, I have to be a woman owned business and all of these intersections is right. what really limits us from being able to go forward in maybe being better in business or in entrepreneurship? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes no sense that the key players in the hair care industry, black hair care to be specific, don't look like the, the, the people that they are serving. That makes no sense to me. How is it that we allowed another ethnicity to capitalize on the products that we need, the products that we use. Like if no one else understands our hair, who's gonna, like we understand our hair like no one else does. We know what it needs. We know, we understand our moisture levels, our porosity issues. Mm -hmm. All, you know, we understand the flamboyancy and the style and just the spectrum of variety within our hair care. How is it that we are not key players? I believe one of the reasons why is because we, we, we are more comfortable at consuming than being the innovators and holding the monopoly. We will give our money to this industry, walk into these businesses knowing that they don't really care about you. They just want your dollar and we willingly give it to them. We give it to them despite the, the disrespect, you know, despite the fact that, you know, hurry up and buy like it, we, we just, we do it. And it has a lot to do with the fact that we are unwilling, we are unwilling to just abandon the fact that, you know what, I don't need to be a black owned business. I just need to fill a need in a market and have a good business that has the products that people want to buy and just just run with it. We spend more time expecting the government to give us a grant, expecting the government to, you know, give us a loan without understanding that economics is colorless. It, no, it's not. It's green. Mm -hmm. Economics are green. Mm -hmm. But we spend time saying uh, the blank, the bank tour, you know, they turn me down. But it's like, well, your credit is trash. Like you, you haven't demonstrated that you have any level of credit worthiness. That's why they turned you down. They didn't look at you and see a black man or a black woman be like, no, we're not gonna give you the loan. Like the 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 lending and eligibility requirements are the same. But yet we use these excuses to imply that there's somehow uh, we're barred entry. I, like, for example, my husband and I, we are in an industry that when I tell you, I don't even know if there's a statistic on the spectrum to represent how few black people are in this space. I'm in the home furnishings industry. That is, that is not an industry that's known for having a robust representation of black people. But it, had, it has nothing to do with the fact that they're barring entry. We don't know what we don't know. There's no, like, I, don't, I, I fight this all the time because people will come into my store and they'll see either me or my husband. And these are people that look like me. 
And the first question that the melanated ones want to know, oh, is this a black owned business? And I stopped them right there. I'd be like, well, on, on what basis are you asking me that? What, one, I want to know genuinely, why does that matter? Do, do you like what you see? Are my prices fair? Am I providing mm -hmm. you a level of service mm -hmm. that allows you to leave here with your dignity, value, and respect? If that's the case, why do you care? I'm like, did you, did you walk? You didn't walk into the Target and ask who owned it. You mm -hmm. didn't walk into the Chick-fil-A and ask who owned it. You just knew you wanted a spicy chicken sandwich and they provided Preach. it for you. Preach. But yet they'll come into my store speaking all of all of this this ethnically laced language and it's disingenuous because there are times when i finally break down i'd be like okay yes yes it is black owned and they want to pontificate and and celebrate all that but you know what they don't do those are the ones that don't buy it's <laughs> a virtue they just talking. It's just a virtue. They just wanted to say sound on the surface like they were just so proud. And, you know, I like supporting my own. And, and what happens, they get up to the counter and one or two things happen. They're like, okay, so how does this work? And you sit there and you're like, what the heck you mean? How does this work? Mm -hmm. You just picked out three grand worth of furniture. It works where you exchange currency for the product. I'm like, were you expecting something different if you if you walked into Harrity? Mm -hmm. I need some money. Mm -hmm. So then you have this conversation. There's this expectation that, oh, well, but we look alike. Shouldn't there be some sort of other way that this is supposed to work? And I'm like, no. Or either they get up there and they act like they don't understand and they're just like, you know, how does this work? Or they don't buy it all. And then they'll go down the street spend more money with people who don't look like them. And then, then, then we're complaining that, well, it's not an, it's, it's not enough black owned businesses. It's the expectation of the hookup, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Um, and I was just thinking that a lot of that comes from the, from the perspective of they believe that other people do that. Right. They, they think that these other groups are giving people that look like them the hookup. Therefore, you need to give me the hookup since we look alike. Cause that's what we do is black on like black, black, black. Right. Then I realize that's not how it works. That's not how other groups even operate. It mm -hmm. is an exchange of currency for services. Right. Right. Um, and it's definitely an assumption that they're going to get a discount. But then it's hard to explain, and I, I don't want to get too give too many you know details. But I, I'll just summarize it like this: When you go to make a purchase in a store, Monique or Kevin, let's say you want to go into Home Depot because you you need a new refrigerator, and you know, okay, I got to get a new refrigerator. Do you go to Home Depot to get a new refrigerator, and you have no money? You, ain't, you have no available credit on your credit card. You're just going in there with hopium, hoping that you're going to come out with this refrigerator. Or do you go in saying, all right, I know this refrigerator, is, I'm going to spend at least $1,500. Um, I can either put it on my credit card or I'm going to apply for some sort of financing and I'm pretty sure I'm going to get it. But do you go in there 
with just no expectations or you have a general a general idea that you're going to pay for this refrigerator? Y'all y'all answer and then I'll explain to you what I meant, Monique. You got a, a general idea of what you are going to spend. Right. No. They come into my store, pick out what they want first with no idea of how they're going to pay for it and then ask me, so how does this work? And I'm, I'm confused, you know, call it naivete. I'm like, well, you have to pay for it. It's like they're expecting there to be some other miraculous solution to get them what they want. Mm -hmm. And what they're really saying is, I really don't have the money to buy this, but... I mean, are you going you are you gonna let me walk out with it? And I just put a little something on it, and then we work out the details later. It, it makes absolutely no sense. We like always wanted to put a little something basic. on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> always. I mean, let me just put a little something on it till payday. Yes, uh-huh. but you didn't you didn't go into Home Depot like that because you know when you right. go to Home Depot, they're gonna look at you like you're crazy. Like you just picked yeah. out this Samsung refrigerator. It's $1,500. I need my $1,500. No, yep. they won't go in to come into my business and they be upset. I yep. mean, well, I just, I mean, I just don't understand. Like, say so you just, you, you, you just, I'm going to calm down. I'm going <laughs> to calm down. The, the overarching point I'm trying to make is that basic economics um, or just understanding the way the world works, commerce, For whatever reason, we play the victim as if there's this system that is actively keeping us and and barring us entry into participating in the marketplace. And that is not true. It's not true. The reason why we're not getting the financing and the lending that we think we deserve is because we don't demonstrate credit worthiness. I don't know if it's just no one has taught us how to do it or we're not doing our own research to be like, oh, okay, so to qualify for this, I got to have this, this, and this. Well, let me start making my way and preparing myself to do that so that when the loan package is presented, they're like, oh, absolutely approved. So let me hit on a couple things because- Girl, you just you giving us a lot all in one. I'm like, I'm sorry. my goodness, my 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 um <laughs> head wrap on too tight for this. Woo wee! So the first thing I hear you saying is that it's a mindset. Like entrepreneur, yeah. entrepreneurial entrepreneurship is a mindset, and that when we as black people go into wanting to be entrepreneurs we tend to want to be black entrepreneurs or female entrepreneurs instead of just being entrepreneurs and understanding that the game is equal to all who want to be entrepreneurs. Right. But then I, so, so that's a mind sh- mindset or mind shift that, that you're addressing, but then you're also addressing this idea that um, because things are equal to all, we don't need to, pretend i guess like it's not and that's the the article that kevin will um link to this article in the show notes um but kevin you had an article that you brought up and the whole reason of even bringing bringing april on was about how unjust the system is 
in regards to things like loans. Oh, and I got something to say about that too. Um, <laughs> loans and entrepreneurs and all of that when, when the business is black owned. But April, you hit on something about like, maybe we just don't know how credit works and things like that. And I actually wonder if that is more true than what people realize. So growing up, and I don't know if that was true for you guys, but growing up, I just thought, you know, I'll just get a credit card and you know, people just going to give me free money. And if I pay it back, I pay it. And if I don't, I don't. There was never any real conversation about credit, about how to be responsible with credit. What I saw a lot of was, you know, the cable bill is in this person's name and the light bill is in that person's name. And somebody got somebody else's social security number to be able to get this telephone. And so, that was what I saw. I'm not saying that that's consistent, you know, across black America, but that was just kind of what I saw and what I thought and didn't really think that credit was going, you know, be worth anything. And, right. you know, it took me a long time to figure out credit, to figure out budgeting, to figure out, um, you know, how to get my finances right and how to get a, a credit score that I, where I can go anywhere and get approved for anything. And so, but that's not, I don't know that that is, that that is just the regular run of the mill conversations that I assume, I'm not sure, but I assume are ha had in many white households. I feel like you growing up on the street, you just, it's always about like, how can I make that money? How can I get what I need to get? what's going to be in fashion. So if I have to go and spend $300 on this credit card, even though I only got $29 in my bank account, I'm going to go and, you know, get these new shoes and this purse and whatever happens, happens. Right. So yes, the first thing that I said, the mindset, it's definitely a mindset issue. So like, for example, when we first started our business, we had to change. Things didn't change for us until we changed our mindset. And until we until we stopped saying, um, you know, we're a black owned business. Right. And we were just surrounding ourselves with this whole segregated mindset. What did it for us is when we started talking with other business owners without distinction to what they looked like. And one thing that we found was that, wow, there are so many people who are out here that will help you and yes. or support you in terms of just information. But if you come to a conversation and say, and I'm just going to be transparent and say, well, I'm not going to talk to that white guy over there because he's probably racist and he's not going to crack the code and tell me what I need to know anyway. So we purposely segregate ourselves and we go into business saying, I'm going to be a black owned business and I'm going to serve just my people. Well, if you do that, then you're, you're literally limiting the population that you're called to serve only other, I mean, if I was a white person and I keep hearing this one particular business talk up and boast about, you know, we're proud to be black owned and we're black this and we're black that. I'm like, well, obviously whatever they got over there, they're selling, it's not for me. So I'm going to keep my dollars over here because they keep telling me it is obvious they don't want my business. Instead of them saying, no, we're a new business and we're in the community and we offer this and that, and then allowing the market to decide who's going to shop. They purposely segregate themselves and they have all of this pro-blackity black language and then they're confused as to why they're not successful. That's the reason.
I, I mean, that it, I saw one of the statistics in the article that you sent that said for female, um, 61% of black women self-fund their startups. But when it comes to earning revenue, black female business owners earn $24,000 annually, which is about six times less than white women-owned businesses. Well, could it be the types of businesses you're starting are mm -hmm. purposely excluding other people and the products that you're offering is so limited that there's only this small segment of people who want to buy it like if you sell great cupcakes why do we need to know that they black owned cupcakes they're just mm. good cupcakes put mm. the cupcakes out in the market and i can guarantee you green purple orange and blue people are gonna buy those cupcakes but no mm. when we do it we gotta have the black girl magic logo we gotta have the stickers in the front proudly serving black owned and it's like people are tired they don't nobody cares Okay, mm -hmm. they just want your good cupcakes. All the virtue signaling, signaling it limits and it, ha it hampers our growth potential, right? You miss out on so many opportunities for other, other business owners to be like, well, listen, you know, I see that you, you've got this cupcake business. Where are you getting your flour from? Because I have a connection over here and you can get this. Like, I can help you cut your cost by this much. Why are you using that supplier? But you can't even have those types of conversations when your needle is just stuck on how black you are. Mm -hmm. That's what did it for us. We were able to lower our costs and find out things about our industry by networking with other people who did not look like us, who freely gave us this information, and they didn't even expect anything in return. They were mm -hmm. just like, you know, you guys are good people. If you ever need anything, you call us. Those people did not look like us. And we didn't go into these conversations. Well, you know, we're the pro blackity black furniture business over here in, uh, you know, this county in Georgia. And, you know, we just we just want to serve black. No, we were just Americans who were just starting out. We were first generation business owners. And these people had owned furniture stores for decades. They're like second and third generation business owners. And they're telling us their story of how they started and how people helped them. And they just poured into us on the basis that we were, we were just some good old hardworking Americans. They didn't mm -hmm. care that we were black at yep. all. But yep. you know what I did notice? When there were the, the trade associations that specifically were just targeted for the black people, when we would go to those networking events, you, you think those people cracked the code and told us what we needed to know to move ahead? Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Nope. They were, they were so rude, so cold, so standoffish that we left. I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. Yeah. I'll say the same thing. Um, so I'm in real estate as, mm. as, as my, my side hustle, my small business in real estate. And my experience has been the same thing is no one cared that I was black, right? It was, it has been the most welcoming thing where people come in and share experience and knowledge with you. Um, and they just don't care that you're black and they help you out. I mean, I have, since I stepped foot in this industry, I have been, um, uh, just giving so many opportunities of people who just want to help. Like you said, didn't expect anything in return, mm -mm, which is like, look, Hey, yeah, I'm going to come down. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go to the bank together. We're going to work this out. We're going to get like, or, Hey, this is what you do. Just give a knowledge of how to get started and how to get going. 
Um, and no one cared that I was black. Right. And so never even came up in the conversation. No, never even came up. It was just, oh yeah, let me show you, let me tell you this and let me tell you that. You know, uh, where are you operating? Oh, maybe we can do business together, you know, that type of stuff. Um, and so yeah, I, I completely, you know, second what you're saying about the experience of when you just approach it openly, people are typically very receptive to just kind of wanting to help you out and, and share their knowledge and experience with you. Um, with that said though, I do want to kind of pick your brain as to how you got started. Cause I know growing up, so we talked about the hair industry, mm-hmm. a lot of the businesses in the predominantly black community in the urban communities typically are not black owned. They're typically Korean, yeah. Pakistani, Indian, you know, whether it's the hair store, the beauty supply store, whether it's the gas station, they all, they come in as immigrants and they start these businesses and it used to blow my mind. I was like, how do they do this? So, how did you get started? How did you say, you know what? I want to be an entrepreneur and these are the steps I'm going to take. How did you get started? Well, I've had like an entrepreneurial spirit since kindergarten. I started my first business when I was five with my best friend. Um, it, I know y'all like really, I, I promise you, we have the documented evidence. We started a Cabbage Patch daycare center in kindergarten and we charged <laughs> other kindergartners. You brought your Cabbage Patch to school and you paid us a fee to babysit your inanimate non-human dolls. Um, and we were making a killing. These little five-year-old kindergartners were, I mean, we we took it. To, we were meeting a demand because the Cabbage Patch, this is 1985. Cabbage Patches were like really big now. Yep. And kids were bringing them to school. We had a daycare center. We had a little photography studio set up where if you wanted class pictures with your Cabbage Patches and we had different packages and we were taking pictures with the little Lee Click camera. And um, it, 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 I mean, it, the operation was it, 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 it was phenomenal for five. I mean, we were five and we were getting it. Um, so I've always been, I've always knew that I was going to be an entrepreneur. And when I met my husband, we decided we didn't start out in the home furnishing industry. We actually started out in the on the logistics side. One day we were driving on 285 here in Atlanta, and my husband. Um, we were driving behind this vehicle that had a mattress strapped to the top of the car. You've seen it. Somebody don't want to pay for delivery and they trying to go at it their own with the mattress on top and they just holding up traffic. And my husband was like, there had to have been someone they could have called to take care of that. And I responded and I said, I said, well, I know like you can call 1-800-GOT-JUNK, but I think that's for junk. Like there's there's no one go-to service that you can call um, to like, if you need something to get picked up, that they'll pick it up for you and kind of bring it out to you. And my husband was like, you know what? That sounds like a business. I was like, what do you mean? He said, think about it. If you have junk, you just said you can call 1-800-GOT-JUNK and you know that this company, a branded company is going to come out and pick up your junk for a fee. He said, but what if it's not junk? What if you buy something from like Home Depot or Lowe's or, or Big Lots and you're a single woman, or you just don't have a truck. Now, I know, contrary to popular belief, everybody thinks everybody in the South has a truck. They, they pretty much do. But 
we have a lot of transients who they don't, that's not a part of the culture for everybody to own a pickup truck. So he was like, who could you call for that? And we couldn't think of a branded company that you just knew name recognition that if you know you buy a large bulky purchase and you need someone to pick it up and bring it to you, there was no company like that. So we went home and he sketched out, we were thinking about different names. We were like, you know, pick it up fast, pick it up quick. And then we were like, pick it up express. We started a logistics company called Pick It Up Express. I built the website. We had a, this was before college hunks hauling junk. This was before all that. We, we were like the premier Ubers before Uber was a thing where you could go online, book an appointment time slot, tell us what did you buy? Where'd you pick it up from and where it needs to go? We would give you a price and we would just show up. That's how we started the company. And what happened was when we would do these deliveries, we would go to these affluent neighborhoods who just purchased a new sofa from somewhere and they didn't want to pay the delivery fee from, you know, or something from Craigslist. And you're like, how am I get this home? Well, when we would deliver their new purchase, they would be like, oh my goodness, can you take this and do something with it? And we're looking at this sectional. This sectional, it, it looks like there's nothing wrong with it. And they're like, oh, well, this is a little nick right here or this recliner on the end, it gets stuck too much and I just don't want to deal with it. Can you take this away for us? My husband being the hoarder that he is was like, <laughs> why, yes, I will take it off your hands. They're like, I'll pay you to take it away. He's like, wait a minute, you're going to pay me to take this away? So he would take it away, bring it home to the garage and my husband can fix anything. He is restoring these slightly gently used pieces of furniture. And keep in mind, this is during the Obama administration. So people have lost their homes. They're starting over. They still need furniture, but they're like, I can't go into Haverty's and spend $4,000 on a sectional. However, my husband starts flipping this furniture that he's acquiring that they've already paid him to pick up and take, he's delivered the new stuff. He's acquiring his next piece of inventory. He's flipping it. We started from one sectional to eventually we couldn't park our cars in a garage anymore. The basement's <laughs> full of furniture. Everybody starts to know him like, listen, if you need gently used furniture that doesn't look used, because you know, some folks, even during the recession, they were just too bougie to be like, I am not buying secondhand furniture. This is before mm -hmm. it became normalized. Mm -hmm. We allowed you to still be able to start afresh. You just coming out of foreclosure, but you could come to us and furnish your whole house for a fraction of the price. And nobody knew that your stuff was pre-owned. That's how we got into the furniture industry. And from there, from flipping that furniture, we started acquiring wholesale accounts with actual furniture manufacturers. And then we eventually, we migrated from the used stuff to the pre-manufactured stuff and moved from the, the, the garage to a little warehouse and a little warehouse and moved to a bigger warehouse. And then from the warehouse, we were like, we need to go full-fledged retail. That's how we started. We just filled the need in the market 
And it wasn't, you know, we were the black people that had the furniture. We were all kinds of people were buying stuff from us. Mm -hmm. It was white folks dealing with foreclosure and black folks dealing with foreclosure. Everybody was broke and they still needed things. But we provided these products and allowed people to maintain their dignity and respect. I still have customers 10 years later, but like, you know, I still got that dining set you sold me for $200 all those years ago. And I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, girl. Because my husband just used the skill that he had, filled a void in the market. And me being the entrepreneur um, operations person, I just branded it. You know, we created a logo and we put, we were automated and we had put systems in place before that was a thing. So you could book with us online. I mean, it was just innovation, using and understanding technology, using and understanding the marketplace and just being the best ones to do it. Not the best black ones to do it, just the Mm. best ones to do it. Hey family, I wanted to take a minute and talk to you about Birmingham Theological Seminary. It's my seminary and it's a place that I extremely appreciate. They have small class sizes, very reasonable tuition, and professors who are committed to your education and to my education. If you are looking to extend your theological education and are considering seminary, I encourage you to check out Birmingham Theological Seminary. You can go to BTS dot education for more information. How do you see entrepreneurship and even this idea of removing this color conversation um, in entrepreneurship? How do you see that as tying into the Christian worldview? Oh, it's directly related to the Christian worldview, because if you are a believer If you truly believe that Christ's atonement just pulls down that dividing wall, that partition that separated the Jew and the Gentile, that barred us access, right, to being able to be justified by grace through faith. If you believe that, I struggle to even understand how we talk in these kinds of categories. There's... We, we have different ethnicities and our ethnic distinctions reflect God's glory in the earth, but we don't see in the Bible where, you know, we're supposed to be celebrating our blackness or celebrating our whiteness. We are humans. And here in America, we have the ability to really live out the gospel and what the implications of the gospel means. I mean, as Gentiles, we're, none of us are Jews, right? As Gentiles, we were wild branches cut off and we got grafted in and adopted into the family of God. We should be celebrating that as believers and not adopting the language of the secular humanist that wants to divide us by all of these, you know, these intersectional uh, distinctions. You know, I'm a female and I'm a lesbian and I'm black and, you know, I'm short and I've got a peg leg. Like, it's just silly. So for Christians, we need to abandon this and recognize that, All those adjectives that we want to put in front of our Christianity, it's unbiblical. Mm. I'm an American Christian, Mm -hmm. you know, but I'm just a Christian. I'm a follower of the way. 
And I don't care that my customer, I don't care what ethnicity my customers are. I do what I do and I serve this community and I do it as unto the Lord. And I treat everybody the same, despite the fact that half of the ones that come in my store, they don't give me that same rep. rep I'm trying to say reciprocity. Thank you. Yeah. That, that's the word. They, they reciprocity. Reciprocity. Did I say reciprocity? <laughs> you did, girl. It's okay. You know, the, the listen, the, the, the exchange. You know what I'm trying to say. I got you. If yeah. I see the word, I can say it. But right now, I'm, I'm, it's fuzzy. I can't, I can't it's see okay. the farming. But overall, like, I don't get that same you know, oh, well, they're just a family and they're building a legacy. It's just like, no, they, it's got to be on the, don't spend money with me on the basis of me being black. Mm -hmm. Spend money on the basis of the fact that I gave you a product and I gave you the best combination of value and price. I didn't, you know, there's no usury laws over here where I'm trying to just, just take advantage of you and, and, and not treat you fairly or when something goes wrong i don't want to deal with it because now that i got your money i'm going to move on no we serve as unto the lord to all people without distinction and consumers need to be the same way stop trying to seek out and look for purposely look for the black owned business because that's partiality and that is sin when you go out of your way to only support a business just because they're black, how are black Christians doing that? That's crazy. Because if white people did that and say, well, you know, I need a white business owned directory and I want to go through this white owned directly a directory and I only want to spend money with white business owners. Black folks would have a fit, yet we are allowed to say this out loud and people support it. You're lending yeah. institutions that want to give me money just because I'm black. Why? Does that mean I'm going to be a better business owner? Am I going to turn a greater profit just because I'm black? If in fact we have a higher attrition rate because mm -hmm. we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I mean, I appreciate that. But if you do want to give money to somebody just because they black, <laughs> I mean, all right, so are I, you saying I need to take the money? I mean, not you, girl. I'm just, I, I mean, dude, you gotta, you gotta wrestle that through with the Holy Spirit. But I, um, didn't, I didn't say I would turn it down. Yeah, like but if, yeah, I, if, it's kind of like a scholarship, right? Like, so affirmative action can kind of come into play here. I think there was in, the, uh, in one of the articles you guys sent me, you know, now that affirmative action has been struck down, um, you know, people are concerned at how this is going to impact, you know, black business owners. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't see how it really will. Yeah. Um, but people are panicking. They're like manufacturing a crisis that doesn't exist. Mm. We, we're, 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 we're underrepresented underrepresented in several industries because we're not doing what's necessary to break into those industries. And I think you're hitting on a good point. You know, people want to be up in arms about, about affirmative action in the space of entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship. Right. But if you're not doing the stuff that's needed to actually get into that space anyway, right. you can't be up in arms. So it's kind of like, 
we want to be up in arms that there aren't enough black taxi drivers. Well, we aren't up in arms that there's more people represented in, you know, the NBA or that there's more black women graduating from universities than any other, you know, group, you know, in America, or that we are entering into STEM fields at ridiculous amounts and, you know, all of these things. But we have, we, we also have to account for people's autonomy. If I don't want to be a taxi driver, well, how are you going to get mad that there's not a lot of black taxi drivers? Right. Now, some of the arguments that they'll make is, you know, I'm from New York City, that there aren't enough black taxi drivers. Um, that's an economic thing, not an ethnic thing. Just to get a medallion in New York City is ridiculously expensive because it's a highly regulated industry and lefticals, I call them lefticals, the leftists, they're the ones that are setting these policies and all this regulation mm-hmm. that's just barring entry. So unless mm-hmm. you have like a half a million dollars to drop on a medallion, a medallion is basically the license that allows you to have a yellow cab. Mm. That's insane to me. Yeah. But our people disproportionately we support these leftist policies and then we're confused why the regulations and the bureaucracy that's in place, why we can't do and move maneuver the way that we want in small business. I'm like, well, this, these are the policies that you voted for. And these policies directly go against things like work and work is such a biblical concept. You know, I, I tell young people to be careful because, you know, when they think about identity or who they're dating and you know, all that. And I jokingly tell them that Adam had a job before he had Eve, but you know, there's truth to that too. Like work is a part of the created order work. We had work before we had the fall. And so when we're thinking about, um, entrepreneurship, that's something that helps to elevate people out of poverty within a generation or two. And so, but it's, it's tied to work. Like you have to work and you can't now expect to be pulled out of your poverty situation. If you, a, you know, continue to have a poverty mentality, but two, if you don't want to work. Right. Yeah. Um, so, April, I like the way you laid out kind of what it means to be an entrepreneur, what it means to start a business, right? You find a, a hole in the market or need in the market. You feel that need, right? That is how it works. So if someone, one of our listeners, they, they, they have identified there is a need in the market. They believe they can, they can feel that need. Where would you recommend they get started? You know? Is it right out of business plan? Is it, you know, going to talk to someone else in that industry? Is it, you know, going to, to the bank? What, what are the steps that they would need to do? I'm, I'm big on, I love startups and I'm, I am big on kind of like the bootstrap self-funded model mm. um, because I find that since we were talking about work and having a healthy doctrine of work, the most, the most successful entrepreneurs are the ones who build the business from the ground up by the sweat of their own brow. And I understand there's a, there's a, you know, a thought, a school of thought out there that's like, yes, businesses do need to be sufficiently capitalized. However, you're not going to value something if someone just gives you the money and you're not going to be a good steward over it because you're just going to spend that money in very irresponsible ways. And the next thing you know, your business is not going to be successful because you didn't have enough skin in the game. Mm. 
But when your entire livelihood is connected to it and your family is either going to be in feast or famine, if you don't get out there and hustle and, and, and get the product to market and convince people why they need to spend this money with you, I'm real big on self-funding in ways that look kind of like this. For example, so you're a W-2 employee and you're serving as unto the Lord on your job. Well, you might need to learn how to start putting money aside for your business. This is your own personal investment. And some people are like, well, how am I going to do that when I still got to live? Easy. You got to downsize your life, right? You, you say you want to be a business owner. Nobody's going to hand you anything. So that means you have to scale back your own life. Maybe you can't buy a new Michael Kors purse. You ain't going to be buying Michael Kors purse for a long time, right? You're not buying new shoes. You know, I, I spent the last uh, 10 years natural because I knew I was not going to be in nobody's hair salon getting the creamy crack slapped in because that money needed to be used for us to, we invested in ourselves. So the first thing I would say, people need to get a mindset shift and stop thinking that businesses just manifest out of thin air and that somebody else's money is gonna be used to fund it. No, you need to use your own money. You need to use your own time and sweat equity. And the reason why I say sweat equity is because the process of entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Why? Because it's unpredictable. And a lot of people do not have the mental fortitude to go through those seasons of hard. Like those first five years where you're just like, this is, yeah. this is really hard. They don't have the mental fortitude to go through those seasons of hard. So in order to prepare yourself for the seasons of hard, when you have skin in the game, when you're like, no, I personally put in 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 mm -hmm. of my own money, you will do what you have to do to make it work. But when somebody just comes along and just gives you the money, you're going to be spending it all willy-nilly and crazy. Next thing you know, you're going to be shut down in 24 months. So the first thing I would uh, do is start with a mindset shift, downsize your life. And then, yes, a business plan is very important, but I'm one of those. I'm not going to overcomplicate it, right? Mm -hmm. A simple business plan just, just basically outlines, this is my idea. This is what I want to do. Um, you know, the, the, this is the money that I'm going to use, like how much is it going to cost to do the basics? Um, and I would also say, start learning how to build business credit very, very early. There's just, this is the information age. There's just too much information out there. People are unwilling. I have people who want to start a business and they come to me for help and I can't even get them to read one book. I'll say, get this book, this book, and this book. And then when you check in in a couple of months, oh, did you ever read that book? They never read the book. They, 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 they never listened to, you know, the seminar that I sent them. They are unwilling to do just like the basics. And I just, at that point, I just be like, see, you're not ready. You're yeah. not ready. Mm -hmm. What people want, they say they want to be an entrepreneur because they saw somebody's life on Instagram Right. They saw somebody's life on Instagram and they think there's this all this freedom and independence. And I'll just I'll be in, you know, Dubai on the weekends and the business is just making money on the back end. Listen, <laughs> that is not how it works. You will work harder for yourself than you do than you've ever worked for anybody else. 
right? Like business office hours. You, you listen. All my children know is that we work. They have a healthy doctrine of work because we're always working and we're doing this work as unto the Lord. Yes, we have boundaries and, you know, family time. And there's time when my husband's like, we not working today. But I just think it, it starts with a mindset shift. And that begins while you are still working as unto the Lord for someone else. Because the type of employee that you are is a huge indicator as to the type of small business owner you will be. Mm. If you are lazy and you cut corners and you slacking for your boss, you will do the same thing working for yourself. Now, people say that they won't, but but they will. Because the discipline required to work for yourself, you're not going to have someone saying, Hey, you know, there's this deadline you got to meet. They're not going to mm-hmm. email you and say, Hey, what, what happened to, you know, such and such you, you are the, you're that person. And so if you're mm-hmm. unable to hold yourself accountable and be disciplined, it's just not going to happen. This is one reason why so many businesses fail. So I, I don't know if I answered the question and gave you tangible things that they should do. <laughs> yes, you should start with the business plan, but you need to learn how to live very conservatively while you're in that build-up phase, phase and growth, growth phase and try to do it with as little debt as possible. Mm. Just with as little <laughs> debt as possible. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you gave that answer. I feel vindicated because so the person who sent me that article is a progressive, right? And he got mad because my response was, because the article is about black when female entrepreneurs, right? Right. And discrimination and loans and stuff like that. And my response was, if black women can get, you know, buy designer clothes and designer shoes and get designer purses and go on girl trips, they can start businesses. Sure can. And that person got mad that I said that. His response was, that's a trash answer. And he said, I was trying to shame black women for going out. It's like, no, I'm just saying there are choices. What you do with your money has choices and it has consequences. Because many of them same ones. If we're spending so much money being consumers with Mm -hmm. name brand stuff. Oh, yeah. And luxury cars. Don't don't get me started on the Mercedes and and the Lexus and all that stuff. But then you're going to tell me you can't afford to start a business? No, no, it is it's about choices. So Y'all I'm glad know you get we that be having, We be having many of them same things and luxury cars, luxury purses, but the lights be off. So listen, the, the <laughs> priorities are so out of order. They claim that they, they like I'll have people inbox me or message me like, you know, uh, where can I go for some grants to start a business? Sometimes I, I ain't gonna lie. Sometimes I'm petty. I'm petty and I'll just ignore it. Cause I'm like, see, I, I can't have this conversation with you. Cause you starting mm-hmm. off on the wrong foot. I was like, what makes you think this is all these grants out here that they're just going to give you a grant to start your business. And I'm like, the first grant is the grant that you grant yourself the permission to stop mm-hmm. spending the way you spend in downs. Like we downsize to one vehicle. Okay. Like one vehicle. We are a family of six. Robert got rid of, well, one, I got a two for one special when I got pregnant in 2011 and I had a set of twins. And so we couldn't fit four car seats in a Camry. So we had to, we had to get a big SUV. So Robert got rid of his truck. I got rid of my Camry. We got that one SUV and we lived off of that one car. 
There were no family vacations. There was, we, we stopped going out to eat. I was, yes, I was in my, 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 my African naturalness because I was like, listen, I can't, I can't be getting a perm. That's a hundred dollars that we can save. Uh-huh. We downsized our life. And some people don't even want to do that. Yeah. See, they say they want to be a business owner, but they don't want to invest in themselves. They don't want to read a book. They don't want to do anything other than just manifest the business. And I'm like, well, good luck with that. Cause that's not how it works at all. You, ha- you cannot live a luxury life as a W-2 employee and then say you want to start a business in the same breath. Those two, they don't align with one another. Mm-hmm. They don't want to sacrifice, mm-hmm. right? They don't, mm-hmm. you know, just basic things. We, we, I mean, yes, we bought clothes for our children, but we just learned to make do on less because we knew we had to keep our personal expenses low while the business was cash flowing so that we could continue to reinvest back into the business, back into the business. Yeah. And, you know, we, we started living La Vida Loca till at least year, what? 2017? So we started in 2013, maybe. No, 2017 was a hard year. Maybe it was 2018. I can't remember. I mean, we rewarded ourselves for our efforts, but we raised our children as small business owners. And that's all that my children know. But I believe that they learned the value of hard work. They learned the value of sacrifice and delayed gratification. So many of us, they, we want it right now. Like mm-hmm. if you tell someone, okay, you want to be a business owner. Well, what happens if you don't make a profit until year six? Are you, you still want to be one? Mm-hmm. Most yeah. people be like, nah, I'm good. I don't, I don't want right? to do that. Yeah. They won't mm-hmm. invest. They will not invest in themselves, a new tool, a product. A, they, I, I just laugh. I'm like, you're not ready. You're not ready. You don't even want to pay for a Canva subscription. Like girl, girl, go and sit down somewhere. <laughs> so I have a question. When you think about like welfare and the whole system of welfare overall and how it actually, in my personal opinion, and I think statistically keeps people in poverty. And when we look at entrepreneurship and how entrepreneurship can actually elevate people out of poverty, do you think that like entrepreneurship should be incentivized where I feel like poverty, like, I feel like welfare is an incentivized program. Like mm-hmm. there, there are some pretty good incentives to stay on welfare. I know people going to say that's not true. And I don't, nobody want to be poor on welfare. Oh, you give me somebody to sit home. <laughs> never, you know, never mind. That's, that's wrong. But, but, you know, I'm wondering if, should we, or the government, I don't know, incentivize entrepreneurship? In what way? Like, are they going to incentivize entrepreneurship by offering skills and trades that will give people the tools to possibly turn that into a business? Or are you talking like monetary incentives? Like, well, if you start a business, we'll give you X. Either way. I think that, you know, under, I think it was under Clinton, they started the welfare to work program. And so, you know, you have, you have this idea that in order to stay on welfare or be on it for like the full, I think it's two years um, or longer in some places, 
that you need to be like actively looking for a job and you know all of those things but you know I, i'm wondering if we the united states or if there were programs that incentivized that aspect that actually teaches them how to like learn a skill that will teach you budgeting so that you can create your business plan. And, you know, how do you learn this trade so that you can get into this, this market specifically, if that's something that we should incentivize, or if that's something that you just need to have the grit and the hunger to do it. And that's going to be, you know, your best teacher. I think those things kind of already exist in the private sector Okay. In the sense that I know lots of nonprofits that teach people, you know, how to do a budget, how to do a marketing plan. I just, I don't like, the more that the government is involved in something, that means the more regulation is going to come with it. Right. And so, and I don't like government interference. I don't like government intervention. I need the government to get the heck out of my way. Yes. Like it's just locally in so many different municipalities, just to get a business license, what they make you go through. It's like, y'all don't, y'all don't really want us to thrive as small business owners. They constantly are putting, now those are legitimate robots mm -hmm. that the government puts in your way. I'm, I'm, I'm the, like, if you've ever seen these business license applications, it is enough to intimidate a person. I remember our first time just trying to navigate and they don't tell you when you go to the county to apply for a business license and they give you the packet, they don't walk you through how to fill this thing out, how to answer mm -hmm. these questions. They just hand it to you. And mm -hmm. then if you fill it out wrong, they'll just be like, they reject it. They don't yep. say, okay, th they don't even give you a template for what it's supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. It took, it can take you months just going through the building permit process and the inspection process. And then the fire chief got to get involved. And then you, the planning and inspection committee. It is ridiculous. And I think they do that. They claim that, no, well, we're just doing it, you know, so everybody can stay safe. And I'm like, but why is it so hard? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, fine, if this is your process, is there a class that I can take to learn how to do this? Mm -hmm. there's, there's no class. There's no seminar. There's no training. You're just expected to figure it out. And what helped me when I opened my second, now my second furniture store, we ended up closing it down post pandemic, but my second furniture store, there was a, a white business owner next door who, when he found out what we were trying to lease that space, he said, listen, they put me through the ringer. I don't want you to have to go through that. This is what you need to do. When you fill this out, you need to do this, this, and this, and then you go give it, you give your application to this person, and then you call this person to do your inspection, and then you call this. Like, he laid out the whole roadmap. He said it took him nine months to get his business license. When hmm. we took his advice, it took us less than 30 days. Wow. That man did not have to tell us that. But he mm -hmm. was so grieved and so upset that what they put him through, he said, if I can help another person avoid that foolishness, and he didn't look at us, be like, well, you know, they're black. So, you know, they, they got to go through the process like me and pay their dues. It was nothing like that. We are so grateful for his favor and the grace that he extended to us because he shortened that process. I mean, he, this man was paying rent on a leased space for nine months before he could even put the key in the door and make his first dollar. Mm. It took us 30 days. 
Can you imagine if it had took us nine months? So to answer the question, I don't know if the government should necessarily incentivize entrepreneurship unless I need to know what that's going to look like. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nothing's yeah. free. Is it free that's money? You know how that yeah. works. Right? <laughs> right. If it's, if it's a class or a seminar, I mean, the SBA kind of does that. But to be honest, those classes and seminars weren't really that fruitful and they weren't practical. Like they weren't taught by people who actually built a viable, successful business. Mm -hmm. yeah. Kind of like in college, these business classes, these people have never built a corporation. They're teaching mm -hmm. you something that they have no tangible evidence mm -hmm. of yep. working it. themselves. Yep. So, yeah. So I, I don't know. It, it, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's hard. Yeah. I, I think though, I think your answer is a no, and that's okay. <laughs> I was just, I, I, and I'm not, I am not opposed to that either, um, because I think when things are over incentivized or, um, when, yeah, there's just something about the way we do incentives. Mm -hmm. It would have to look a lot different than any government program and right. you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, I don't know one for like free classes or things like that, because then it's like, well, if I don't want to show up, well, you know, I, I, I'll sign up on the next round. Yeah. I know I went to these two classes, but you know, I always tend to, I, I tend to believe that people need to have skin in the game. Like they need to mm -hmm. have something that makes it valuable to them as well. Right. Yeah. Kind of like when the government incentivizes, you know, uh, big agriculture, right? Now, mm -hmm. then they get to set the terms of how things are grown and the pesticides that are used. And I'm like, no, just get out of that. Just no, I don't I don't want the government involved um, because when they get involved and that means they get to set the terms and conditions for how you do everything, mm -hmm. kind of just like with with the hair care industry, like the amount of licensing and red tape that to be a barber or a beautician that you have to go through, it's ridiculous. And they say, well, we're doing it for the public safety lies. Cause y'all don't regulate these abortion clinics like that. These Ooh. abortion clinics don't get, they don't, they don't get inspected to make sure things are up to code and that people's safety is priority. Trust me, it's not, especially here in Georgia. Some of these clinics haven't been inspected since 2015. They're not clean. They're not up to code. All kinds of illegal activities going. So you're telling me that you want to regulate the barber, the guy who just learned how to cut hair on his porch. He's got to pay all these licensing fees and get all these inspections mm -hmm. all the time. But the abortion clinic, they don't have to be subjected to all these government regulations. Yeah. Yeah, um, I've, I've, I've experienced the same thing with government red tape in in the real estate and, and yep. construction world. It's 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 ridiculous. But we got to wrap up. But before we do, I want to get your any ideas or recommendation when people come to you and say, "Hey, I want to start a business." You say, "Hey, check out this book and that book." What are some of those books you recommend people read? The first book that I read that really changed my life and just set me on a path to like, I can do this. It's a book called um, The $100 Startup by Chris. His last name is like Gillibro or Gilla, Gilla something. I, I don't okay. want to jack his name up, but it's an older book. It's the type, the, the title is a little, the book is a little dated, but the principles in the book are very, very good. What it does is it just distills it down to a very basic level that if you have a product, and a way to get paid, 
you have a business and it just keeps you from overcomplicating it. But it just asks you, what, what are you good at? What, what do you know how to do that you can monetize that somebody is willing to pay for? And it takes you from that journey from there to scale, to, to how to scale it. And so that would be, that's the first book that I read that really my husband and I, we were like, yes, we can do this. And then mindset is really, really important. Um, I'm trying to think if there's one particular book that, okay, it's not necessarily a book, but it's an individual that really changed our mindset and got us out of this category thinking of we're black and we want to be a business owner, but it just focused more on how this is America and America's a ladder meaning you can start down here and on the and on the basis of your own efforts you can climb that ladder and stop wherever you want to stop and that is the late Jim Rohn when i started listening to Jim Rohn and just i mean when i tell you that man evangelized me to where i my mindset shifted in ways that i can never repay him his wisdom and knowledge in the area of entrepreneurship and just mindset shift adjustment was so valuable for me. So Jim Rohn, just listening to his tapes, and I say tapes because they were recorded on tapes, but go to YouTube <laughs> yeah. and just Jim Rohn, R-H-O-N, and start listening. He takes you from that victim mentality where it's somebody else's fault as to why I'm not getting the outcomes that I want. And he forces you to examine yourself and be like, you know what? It's me. It's me. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. And the reason why I'm no further along than I am because I have not done the work. Those two yeah. resources really from the beginning, when I reflect back on our journey is what put us on the path to be like, okay, we got it from here. We got it from here, Jim. We can take the ball and run it home. Yeah. Awesome. I've, I've, I've listened to a little bit of stuff. It's, it's really good. So I do recommend it. Well, April, I, well, we appreciate you joining yes, us. Yes, um, very much. Man, we got to do this again on, on whatever topic we can think of just to bring you back on. Because uh, I, I get the feeling our listeners are going to really appreciate you. And uh, so tell everybody where they can find you. You guys can find me right on YouTube. Um, the name of my channel is the Standard of Truth Podcast on YouTube. I'm the Standard of Truth Podcast on Instagram. I am standard, S-T-D, um, of truth on Twitter and a little bit on TikTok as well, or my website, the standard of truth podcast.com. Thank you guys so much for having me. You guys have access to me anytime you want on any topic. Just give your girl a holla and I will be here. Well, thank you so much. We are so glad that we got to have you and to spend this time with you and we'll chat with you again soon. Awesome. Bye everyone. sausage it's just like holding my stuff yeah yeah it, oh because yeah mm -mm. It don't is worry this is anti anti-scratch week for me too because i've got a hair appointment on friday so you mm -hmm. mm -mm. Yeah, i'm gonna be okay. black girl patting it it's okay we can pat, pat oh, you she does that too. huh she does that too everybody yes. black at their head oh. krista said she do that too she thought it was just me everybody black i hate it 
I hey, I wish I didn't have to pat. Now, when I was natural, I didn't have to pat. But since I'm relaxed now, you got to pat at least a week before or your yes. scalp is going to be on fire. Burn. Burn off. The things yes. we go through to 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 appropriate from our, our white brethren. Yeah, girl. That's all right. I'm like, I can't be, um, I can't keep gross. I know we got, this is the last thing I'm saying. <laughs> but I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm debating about getting a perm. Because I'm just like, I just, I can't with the, my, my naps. It's just wrong. And like, I regret it. All, no, see, I did I a big did. chop in everything. My hair was about Kevin's length 10 years ago. Uh-huh. You was all the way. I was, I was all the way. I was a big black and powerful. And so <laughs> now my hair has grown back, but I braided so much that it's thin. And I'm like 45. Like my hair is thinning. We're the same age, yeah. Yeah, but I can't be having my hair start way back here, and then I look like Stevie Wonder with the back bangs. <laughs> ain't nobody got back bang time. Ain't, ain't got time for the back bangs. <laughs> I'm so I love <laughs> her so much. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, back bangs ain't cute. That ain't sexy. I'm still trying. Y'all already married. Yeah, y'all, y'all can have back bang situation. Y'all till death do us part. I'm trying right. to get. <laughs> Yeah, He's loving me in spite of my back bangs. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he is. He is. You still gonna love Shalonda if she get back bangs? <laughs> There's a covenant. 